0: Terry, John, it's good to see you guys. I was afraid you guys already left and I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. <laughs> but you're still here, praise the Lord. All right, we are going to look in, we're going to begin today by looking at the beginning book of the Bible, uh, Genesis, starts with beginnings. And uh, first chapter there, we have this great account, great narrative story of The creation of the world, and then we have the great story of creation of man, mankind. The new translations say mankind to include male and female, but of course, that's what we mean. But in verse 26 to 28 there, we know it very well. When God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let's make them in our image after our likeness. I'm not going to read all of it. But you can look right at there. Twenty six to twenty-eight. And then um and then Genesis two, twenty-three, I love this verse where Eve is presented to Adam, and Adam looks at her and said, Alas, alas, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. I'll get back to that toward the end of the message. The I image of God in you makes your life sacred it makes it sacred. It makes it have intrinsic value. You actually are the most valuable thing on the face of this earth. It's not the beauty of nature. It's not the beauty of animals. Not the beauty of our universe and the stars and the galaxies. Everything is nothing compared to the creation of you and me. When God created us in his image and his likeness, it did a profound Thing that has never been—I mean, will look has never been happened before in the history of histories. Never. It is the most profound thing that has ever happened. When uh, conscious, when we talk about conscious, when we talk about being and autonomy, when we talk about responsibility, having responsibility, it all centers around this Genesis account. There would be no conscience, there would be no autonomy, the ability to make your own choices if it was not God making you in his own image. When we really stand looking there at all of this, you know, when you really look into this, this is not the first time I've spoken on this, believe it or not. Some of you might remember some of the things I say, (laughs) but God... God will not let me go on this. He will just not let me go. He would just keeps giving me more in depth, uh, if any lack of a better word, in depth knowledge of it. It's just a fascinating, very deep concept of the image of God. <laughs> God did not need more worshipers. He didn't need to create us be. he would have more people to uh, slobber all over him and say how great he is. He needed to uh, express his love and that expression of the Trinity of the Triune God overflowed and just overfilled into what could we do to share what we enjoy, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he created man, but to do that, he had to make that man free to choose, free to choose, free to say, I don't want to worship you. That was the risk, that was the big gamble not that God didn't know that was going to happen or was unaware of that but that was the big gamble now Adam and Eve when they're walking through the garden being made in God's image and after his likeness were able to communicate with their designer with their creator because they're in the image of God nothing outside of the image of God is able to be is able to communicate is able to you know, make a voice. There's no fox running around saying, hey God, you know, help me find a rat, I'm hungry. You know, bear saying, "Uh, let's bring some fish over here so I can eat some fish. You know, they don't have that communication. We're the only being on Earth that has that communication. Now we know the story, I'm not gonna belabor you, the story of the fall, The the eating of the fruit of the tree. And they were cast out of the garden and they were told how life would now be different. So we're all well aware of that. But isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that God didn't do a do-over? Man, you guys really screwed it up. I think my nose is running. You guys really screwed it up. Uh, I'm going to make some new people and just start this over. God didn't have OCD. (laughs) He's like, oh, it has to be perfect. Thank you, Nanny. Mm, excuse um, me. So God didn't have OCD, he didn't have perfectionism in his blood where it had to be perfect and it had to be, you know, just so. He had a plan he had, and he had a, an idea. I think when you make something in your image, when you make a being in your image, God in such as his love is not gonna go, you know, destroy you, you know? And I know people are gonna mention the flood But that's a different story. But he's not going to go to Adam and Eve and just going to say, "Ah, you know, squash you and start over." There was something very unique about how this was going to start, how this was going to be, and Adam and Eve were the you know forerunners of mankind. And also, isn't it wonderful that uh, God not only did a do-over, but He also didn't say to you, "And now you no longer bear My image." He didn't cast them out of the garden and say, "You no longer bear my image. You are not in my likeness anymore." Because I never would have done that. I would have obeyed what I said and not eat of that tree. You know. So this. So God's not shallow. And when they left that garden, they had the image of God. They were in His likeness. You know. It's. Uh, it's. It's. Uh, they still have within them this very DNA of God. You know. When Adam, there's not much is said about Adam and Eve. Uh, like, you know, did they squabble afterward? You know, it was kind of funny when God said, what'd you guys do? And he, and God, Adam said, Eve. And then, Eve, what'd you do? And Eve said, it was the serpent, you know. But there was no other real account of them really having dialogue. We don't have any history of what they were going on. But we can see that even Adam and Eve were not discouraged. They were kicked out of the garden, but Adam named Eve. And you know what her name means? It means Mother of the Living, or just living, or living person. It just means living. If there were suffering death and, uh, you know, all those things that they were now a curse on him, you know, he, it would be odd to him to choose the word living. He would just choose like, oh, we're dead now. You know, we don't have relationship with the Father. So that aspect there shows that he wasn't ultim- ultimately all discouraged that he cast out of the garden. And then also, they understood the image of God being in their own conception of having their sons. So in Genesis 5, uh, it says Seth was born, and Eve said, alas, someone to replace Abel, someone to take Abel's place. And it also said that Adam looked at him and he knew that he was in his image. So very early on, they knew, this is to what we're supposed to do. And being fruitful and multiply and, and have dominion, they are st- still doing that to this day. Unfortunately, to be fruitful and multiply is not happening as much. Um, not for my family, but we're, we're seeing a lot, a lot less of that. But they're still following that command. And so they knew Seth was in his exact image replica of Adam. And so that great miracle of conception, even more so, makes you at awe of what God designed. We were able to create. We can create something in our likeness. It's a little change in DNA for each child, but they're created in our likeness. The same, they can can trace us uh, genetically to your parents and then on to your next generation, next generation, next generation. So in this world, we see the love. You know, God in his great love poured us out to Adam and Eve. We see the love being twisted and warped. We see it being in various forms and various definitions and various, uh, you know, what could it mean? What is love? And it's been, you know, it's been terrible, the after effects of that, especially when it's self-love, how destructive that is. If you look at Cain killing Abel, his own brother, you know, that wasn't a very loving thing to do. And God did right there very, Very instance, before the Ten Commandments, murder was wrong. And why was murder wrong? Because he murdered someone made in the image of God. He killed someone that was in his image, that was designed after God and his likeness. In the same vein, we see uh, James, James speaking in chapter four, I believe, when he's talking about the tongue, and he says, with those hum you can say a a blessing on someone but with the same hum we can say a curse and he said it's really mind boggling I'm paraphrasing, it's real mind boggling that someone could do that to the image of God, someone created in the image of God, why would you curse someone that was designed after God's image and his likeness he points that out so we see how important it is to see the world as everybody is created in the image of God and that's kind of the point I want to make today There is a concept of love from Augustine's day, way back, where he saw the triune God as three parts to love. There's the lover, there's the loved, or the beloved, and then there's the love in between. But it's not always two-way directional. It's just the concept of love, real love, love of God, creates the love between the lover and the beloved. So for instance, God so loved the what? The world. For so the world is his beloved, God is the lover. And what is the, the catalyst? He gave his only son. So the image that now comes in between is Jesus Christ. But love is created by God. So what's that love? It's a love that is sacrificial. It is a love that says, and this is where I really can just skip over all my message. <laughs> it's the love that says, "I will love you, and not receive anything in return." That's the love of Jesus. That's the love from the very beginning in the garden, when God made you autonomous, of free choice, free will, whatever you want to call it. He said, "I am expecting. I am not expecting a return. I'm my investment in you, making you in my image." because if I made you that way, then you're just a robot. You're just an automaton designed to slobber all over me and make me feel good. That's not the way that God designed us. So in 1 John 4, verse 9, it says, God showed how much he loves us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So he says, dear friends, since God loves you so much, we surely ought to love each other. When you hear the word ought, that becomes an ethical statement. And the whole study of ethics is what one ought to do. Not just wrong and right, but what one ought to do. So John is making a very ethical statement. We ought to to love one another. But if we love each other, he finishes, God lives in us, and his love is brought to us in full expression to us. So this really challenges the concept of love is a two-way street. I know, it's like, you know, if they don't respect me, I don't respect them back. You know, if they don't treat me right, I'm not going to treat them right. Now there's a I know I have to put an addendum in there. There are certain cases, of course, where you don't throw your pearls. You don't make yourself a a punching bag or a mat to walk all over. I understand that. But there is a love that is an overarching, sacrificial love that says, love is a one way I am going to love you. And I'm not going to say, you must love me. Does that make sense? There is a lover and there is a beloved. Jesus is great. demonstrating that as the very personification of the image of God. In Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news, and they don't understand this message. And what's the message? The glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God, Jesus, through His atonement, has set us free to be able to stand and reign with Him as co-laborers. Remember, God said. <coughs> remember that God said in the a, in the garden, Adam needed a helper. He couldn't find anything suitable. We need to find a helper, and he that's why he created Eve. That's the same concept when He took that rib. From Adam, you know, some have said that uh, maybe Eve and him were like joined, you know, like they joined like this. But uh, he he took Eve from his side somehow and created Eve. And then when he stood before Eve, he said, "At last, flesh and my flesh, bone in my bone, we are alike. We are from the same uh, same Creator. You know, we are from the same thing." Well, Jesus was struck in the side on the cross, and blood and water flowed. He has a wound on his side to this day as a man. And that has made us co laborers, working alongside. When we decide to say, I'm going to love and honor and do what God has called me to do, we have become co laborers. We have become assistants. You know, we become uh, workers alongside of Him. Adam got Eve. And we got Jesus. Amen. In 2 Corinthians three eighteen, So with all of us who have had the veil removed, so we just read how the veil is there. Satan puts that veil there. But when we had that veil removed, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Colossians 3, 9 to 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. The image of his son, the image of the man of heaven, and the image of the Lord, we see in three instances, the image of God is not just being restored in us, but we are also being made into the image of Jesus. We are being conformed to Jesus' image, transformed from one degree and glory to another, and that is the work of the Spirit. We see this through three persons of the Trinity involved in this process. We were created in the image of God, our Father. The Son took on human flesh, and thus the very image, I'm sorry, the very image of (coughs) God. And then through union with Him, we as Christians are being conformed to His image. Thus fulfilling the original design of God's creation. And all that is helped and done by what Jesus said, He was sent to you, the Holy Spirit. I heard uh, Ravi Zacharias shod- share this story uh, several times. He shares it quite often. He said, uh, There's, a, there's a, the account of the guy coming up to Jesus and said, Who do we pay taxes to? And Jesus said, Of course, give me the coin, remember? And he looked at the coin and said, whose face is on there. He said, "Julius Caesar." seizures? Well, pay the seizure with seizures and give to God what's God. And Ravi puts a little joke in there. Many people groan because they wish he would say something different than that. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to pay taxes. But um, he said the man was shut up because of that. He, d- he thought he could get him, but he didn't because he had a different uh, motivation in his heart. But what Ravi says is what the guy should have asked was then what belongs to God? And then Jesus would have answered, whose image is on you? Whose image is on your heart? The whole world, the whole world, the ugliness, the, the atrocities, the you know, everything you can think of from the very best of the world to the very worst of the world, we have to remember they're all created in the image of God. They all carry the image of God. It doesn't matter what they've done to you, or what they've said, or deeds they've done. Uh, they, they should suffer the consequences, but it doesn't matter what happens. They are still in the image of God. Let's go back to that concept of the lover, the beloved, and the love between them. In John 4, we see that the real love is not that we love God. That is the uh, deep principle. It's not because we love God. Real love is that God loved us. The lover, God, with his perfect love and the concept of who loved us that makes us to be loved. So what do we do as image bearers? What's our responsibility as image bearers being created in the image of God? What is our responsibility? To love. Real simple. But not everyone we try to love will reciprocate with that same love and re- return to us. What do we do? What, 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 you know, what's our options? What are our options? Well, we have a few. But we should, I say, go to God and say, God, I love that person, and they didn't love me in return. And Jesus says, you still fulfilled my commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? In Matthew 5.42, the Beatitudes, Jesus said, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So, that, so in that way, you will be acting as true, as true children of your Father in heaven. Did you, you, you just hear that? Love them even as they persecute you, and in that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for He gives His sunlight to both the evil and the good, and the uh, send, sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even the tax collectors do that. Uh, if you uh, if you only uh, show love to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. They do that, anyways. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. I heard this. I read, not heard, read this other story of this girl. Uh, she just wrote it this year. So, thirteen years ago, was in school. She She's going to school, and she was a professing Christian. And she regretted a little bit, saying, "I am a Christian," because she became daily onslaught of attacks from her professors on down to her fellow students. And so she went through the whole four years of going to school like that. And she was just astonished. And about halfway through, she was really struggling. God, what do I do? God, what do I, uh, I I don't know if I can taste this anymore. You know, This is this daily onslaught. Their purpose is to drive you out and make you not exist. They're They're not intended, have any intention of listening or hearing what you have to say. So when she was praying, God led her to this, Matthew 5.42. He said to pray for your enemies. Pray for them. And so she got out a sheet and she wrote down everybody that she remembered, teachers' names, students' names, anybody's name she wrote down of the people that have uh, caused her harm, have, uh, you know ridiculed her. And she started praying for those names individually, just praying for them. And she said it didn't change anything, but what it did change was her, her heart. She became more compassionate. Even when the ridicule and the person was coming at them ugly, she could see that they are made in the image of God. There is a being here that has a has a has a worth, has a worth, has a value. I am not gonna fight this person. I'm just gonna love them, show them love. And any chances she got, she was able, she said she was able to share the gospel a few times. Fast forward ten years from that. She gets a, I don't know if it was Facebook or whatever, she gets contacted by a guy that was one of her classmates. And she remembered him specifically because he ambushed her after class somewhere and just unloaded on her and then he never would stop. But he contacted her and he said, I would love to get together with you. And she was a little leery, he says, okay. Uh, And he goes, "Uh, I have to tell you that I am a Christian now so I really need to see you. So they got together. And instantly, she said, he started weeping and apologizing to her for how awful he was, how awful and terrible he was. And he just couldn't believe why he did it. He didn't know why he had a veil. He just could not see through his own ugliness. And she starts weeping, and then she stops him and says, don't worry, I've already forgiven you. Imagine that. Someone comes to you and says, I'm sorry. And you say, oh, I'm glad you said sorry. I I can forgive you now. And imagine that. That's thats normal uh, uh, human behavior, isn't it? But this girl, just like Jesus. Jesus, I'm sorry. I messed up. It's okay. I've already forgiven you. I've already paid the price. I've already died on the cross. And so she did that for him. And then she told him, I was praying for you. I was praying for you. And he's like, even when I was treating you in that way? She goes, yeah, I was praying for you all the time during school. And so this one guy, out of all of that, comes to the Lord, and they've been, and she fast forward another three years, they've been friends forever since, uh, ministering to each other and co-laboring together. It's a fascinating, awesome testimony story. So I say that, because it really touched me, and I hope it touches you, that the efforts you made, she got lucky, I think, seeing the fruits of her effort, because you won't always see those efforts, but God does. What's more important? What's more important? So we are to pray for our enemies because they are made in the image of God. We need to express one-way love to the world without expecting something in return. Here in church, it's easy. You know, We're all family and we've known each other. Some are newer, but we've all known each other for many years. So it's really easy to show love, to express love because we're uh, used to each other. You know, we recognize our faces. We recognize who we are. We know where we live and our families. But to the world, it's not that easy. To the world, it's not that easy. What God has done personally for me was uh, years ago, uh, I used to be the biggest arguer (laughs) and the biggest debater and the biggest sarcastic guy. Uh, I'm still sarcastic. I'm I'm still all those things. However, I just... Came to it was 2012. I just came to a halt and just hit this wall where I was like, "What is it that I'm trying to accomplish?" Because nothing changed those people's minds, you know, on Facebook or personally or whatever. And nothing changed their mind. And then that phrase: people uh, have their opi- uh, try to convince a man against his opinion, he'll be of the same opinion still, or against his will, he's of the same opinion still. We can't do it. We can't do it. We can't argue with them. We can't slap them. We can't do anything to get them to, to agree with us. So since 2012, I just cut it out. I just quit. You know, stop being so sarcastic to people, you know, making fun of them or just kind of pointing out where they got their theology wrong or their philosophy wrong. And i got to tell you, nothing changed those people still. But what changed was me. I don't see people as a threat. I don't see people as a issue. I don't see people as someone I need to fix. We can't look at the world as like you need fixing. You know, you need to shape up. You need to, you know, readjust yourself. Um, <laughs> a lot of people say marriages are like that, and I can't, I can't, I can't relate. <laughs> Aubrey is amazing, but. Um uh, having that relationship, having that relationship where, well, I brought up a marriage. When you are operating in that love that's a one-way street, and you're receiving your benefit of being loved by the Creator, it does, it does a phenomenal, much better work than to say, man, I keep loving him and he just doesn't reciprocate, or I keep loving her. And I'm not getting anything in return. If you're looking for the worldly love, it's just going to let you down every time. Even your own mate, even your person that you have given an oath to be with for the rest of your life. But when you do this this way, when you're getting your creator giving you the love, you're a substance of uh, design and worth and intrinsic value. When you're doing that way, you just pour out love for your mate, and they, if they are made in the image of God if they are, which they are, then they are compelled to do the same. They are compelled. It's just a, it is the way God designed it in the garden at the very beginning in Genesis. So fathers, I'll speak to fathers today. It's father's Day, Hallmark Day, obviously. But it's good to remember the fathers. Same thing. When you have children, children, they have uh an autonomy of their own. And you know they love to flex it, and they love to show how you know, they, they think they know. And my girls will tell you that uh, they have corrected me more times than once, and I've had to confess to them, you're right, I was wrong. Uh, prior to 2012, maybe I wouldn't have done that. But the compassion of knowing that they are created in the image of God, my two oldest there, They are created in the image of God. Aubrey and I made them, but that conception, everything there is just so phenomenal, so amazing. And they are people. And as a father, you need to uh, do the same thing. I love them, but I know, uh, I think it was a couple years ago, or a year ago, pretty recent, right, honey? It just dawned on me that my kids are not gonna always love me. It hit me right between the eyes. I figured what it was, it was a couple of events in a row and I just felt totally like I didn't even exist. They didn't even need me. And it just like hit me with a ton of bricks. Whoa, I am relying way too much on their love. I am relying way too much on that reciprocation of them adoring their daddy. But there were times when they won't and that really hit me hard. And I had to go to God and say, I'm sorry, I've been replacing you with my children. And that's not healthy for them. It's not healthy for kids to have them be the object of your love. And it's not healthy for them to have a father looking to them that way, too. So it affects every relationship. It affects every relationship. So I'm going to end with this, lastly, in conclusion. A lot of this is what I've spoken on before, but this is the new part, so are you ready for this? Yeah. When I was reading this passage again in Genesis, uh, and I got to the part where Eve was presented to Adam, and he said, at last, and that's the title of my message today, at last. It was, uh, it struck me, and then God kind of just spoke to my heart and said, when, and it just kind of like stayed there, It's real hard to explain how God speaks, but it just knew. He spoke to me and said, when? I said, okay. So I read it again, at last. And he said, when you behave, I think he said behave, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. When you behave or act or do what I have commanded you to your enemies, to you, people who persecute you, to the people who come down upon you when you behave and act in the way that I have commanded you, heaven says, at last. Heaven says, at last, right there, flesh in my flesh, bone in my bone. You have behaved to another being that is created in my image. You, an image bearer, has created a a bond, even though there are an enmity against you, you have created a bond with that person that says, I am also creating the same engine and I choose to love you and forgive you. What uh, ammo could a person get out after that? They can try, but it's gonna be flimsy. It's gonna be real. In fact, their, their anger could get worse, which is an indicator if you're good at debates, if the anger person is getting angrier, you've already won the debate. You can stop. You don't have to debate them anymore. You can shut up. You don't have to say anything else. That's the, the key, that's the, the key. But anyways, when heaven says, when heaven also, God was telling me, when heaven sees you operate in a relationship of marriage, your kids, uh, family members, and you behave in a one-way love to them, heaven says, at last created beings in my image have behaved in the way I have created them to be. You were created to be my, in my likeness and in my image. Who created you knowing that you might reject me? So let's love others, family members, personals, people that we know that we're friends with and the world. Let's love them knowing that they may reject you. They may let you down, but it's okay. Because if you are rooted and grounded, as Paul says, in love, you can withstand any of that. Because you're getting your love this way. You're not getting it. You're getting it horizontally, not vertically. Amen? So I encourage you. any of those situations in your life. And I encourage you as you go out into the world, don't see the world as amity against you. Now you can see the ideas and concepts and principles as against you. Fight against those. Vote correctly, vote wisely, uh, choose wisely. Uh, As a citizen, you have a right to go against the ideas. But the people, you don't come against the people. The people are blinded. They just need to see the love of Christ to be forgiven Ahead of time, I forgive you. I release you in God's hands to let that veil hopefully fall like that young man with the girl at the college. His veil fell and he knew how bad he was, but she had already forgiven him. What a testimony. He just was already free before he even had to come to her to apologize. Amen. So let's stand on our feet and uh, close with prayer. Glorify your name, we just give you